dependency upon God's grace and the sufficiency of the cross of Calvary. I'd like us to open our Bibles back to the language of John chapter 1. This morning in our little Bible study, we uh, looked at the prologue to this wonderful gospel account. We rejoice in that. And we rejoice in the truths that we find all through the scripture. But there's something so special, so magnificent, so simple yet profound in the gospel account of John. Um, I'm on, okay, sorry about that. I'm technologically challenged, as you know, but, uh, but I, uh, I want us to uh, title our study this, this morning, Behold the Lamb of God. This is a, a magnificent uh, reading and one that I pray will be a blessing to us as we study it together this morning. I'd like to go ahead and look at this uh, beginning with verse 19. And this is the record of John when the Jews sent priests and Levites from Jerusalem to ask him, Who art thou? And he confessed and denied not, but confessed, I am not the Christ. Now now let this sink in. They, they were going to investigate if this was the Messiah that was promised and prophesied in the Old Testament. This, this uh, uh, would be the one that Malachi said in... Uh, the last book of the Old Testament, uh, that, that behold, he shall come. Him, him whom you seek shall come suddenly to his uh, temple. This is the messenger of the covenant they're looking for. And they hear about this man in the wilderness, uh, in a, a particular region of the wilderness, and he's he's making a proclamation concerning the coming of the Messiah. So they're coming saying, uh, who are you? We want to know. Uh, but he said, I am not the anointed one. I am not the Christ. I am not the Messiah. And they asked him and said, What then? Art thou Elias or Elijah? And he said, uh, I am not. Well, then, are you that prophet? Uh, the prophet that was uh, promised in Deuteronomy chapter 18, verses 15 through 18, when Moses says that there will be a, a prophet risen up like unto Moses uh, that will bring deliverance. Are you that prophet that Moses wrote about in Deuteronomy 18? Oh, no, I'm not him. Then said they unto him, well, then who are you? Uh, that we may uh, give an answer to them that sent us. What sayest thou of thyself? And he said, listen to this. This is a quote from Isaiah 40, verse 3. He said unto them, I am the voice of one crying in the wilderness. Notice he didn't, he didn't say, I am the person. He says, I'm, I'm just... Just a voice. I am the voice of one crying in the wilderness. Make straight the way of the Lord, as said the prophet Isaiah. And they which were sent were of the Pharisees. Now, we need to understand who this committee is involved uh, because there were three segments of religious Jews in the first century. 
Now, the, the, the first and most prominent among them were the Sadducees. The Sadducees were wealthy, uh, very wealthy uh, members of society. They were heads of, of, of tribes. They were rulers in their own rank, and, and they were very wealthy, and they were very ignorant uh, of the Word of God. The, the, the Sadducees only believed in the five books of Moses. They rejected most of the other prophets. They rejected the teaching uh, of the resurrection. They denied the bodily resurrection. Uh, but they were a very prominent uh, segment of Jewish leadership in that day. So they comprised the majority of the Sanhedrin court. The court that um, the Jews had in the first century uh, that was comprised of 70 rulers and led by the high priest. So there were 71 there, and they patterned, they, they actually patterned uh, the Sanhedrin court after the uh, example of Moses. He followed the advice of Jethro, his father-in-law, to appoint other judges so that Moses wouldn't be wore out in uh, and, and, and trying to take care of all these uh, people that came out of Egypt Jethro says, you know what you need to do? You need to appoint wise men to help you with this. And he appointed 70, 70 men. So that came to mean in the Greek language, Sunidrion, which is Sanhedrin. The Sanhedrin court was 70 rulers, and they were led by the high priest. So they were 71. Now, the majority of them were Sadducees. But then there was uh, a prominent segment of the Sanhedrin court that were Pharisees. And it's interesting, the word Pharisee, oh, oh and, and Sadducee means pure ones. Now, doesn't that sound good? Pure ones. We're the pure people. We're pure ones. They're the Hasidim. They're, uh, they're without sin, you see. So, so that's one segment. And then you have the Pharisees. Now, the Pharisees uh, were about one-third of the uh, Sanhedrin court. And the word Pharisee means separated ones. Now, doesn't that sound good? Doesn't that, doesn't that sound really uh, special? You, you've got the pure ones on one side and you've got the separated ones on the other side. And when I say separated, that means separated from sinners. They're separated from sinners. They're holy people. And then you have the smallest segment, which were Herodians. And the Herodians were loyal to Herod and Rome. They were just uh, appointed by Roman uh, leaders uh, to make sure that the Sanhedrin complied with the Roman law. So these were the three groups of the elitists uh, in the day of Christ. And, and they sent this committee, if you will, out to check out this wild-looking preacher out in the wilderness calling on people to repent. Now, that couldn't involve them because they didn't have any sin. But they wanted to know what authority this fellow was out there preaching that kind of a message and actually baptizing folks who would repent. What authority are you doing this in? So here's John's record. And remember, John was an early disciple of John the Baptist. Andrew and John and James. We're all under the teaching of John the Baptist before they met Christ. Just keep that in mind. 
So here they are in this desert place that we're going to identify in a moment as Bethabara. Uh, Bethabara in the Hebrew tongue means house of passage. And what that means is this was the region where the children of Israel, when they came out of the wilderness and crossed the river Jordan and came into the land of Canaan, this was that region. This was that area where over 2 million Jews passed over on dry ground at the end of their 40-year travel in the wilderness. It's very significant to me that that would be the place where Jesus would be baptized. Now, here we're reading this, and they send this committee out and say, What, what sayest thou of thyself? I'm just a voice crying in the wilderness. Make straight the way of the Lord, as the prophet Isaiah hath said. Now remember that John was quoting Isaiah 40 verse 3, which is, um, in, uh, which is in context um, describing the preparation of a path for the returning remnant from Babylonian captivity years before. He described himself in this way uh, as identifying with a captive, identifying with a returning captive from a long night of struggle. I'm a voice in the wilderness. Verse 24, and they, and they which were sent were of the Pharisees, the separated ones, right? And they asked him uh, and said unto him, Why baptized thou then, if thou be not the Christ, nor Elijah, neither that prophet? In other words, by what authority are you doing these things? And John answered and said unto them, I baptize with water, but there stands one among you whom ye know not. He it is who coming after me is preferred before me, whose shoes latch it, I am not worthy to unloose. These things were done in Bethabara beyond Jordan where John was baptizing. The next day John sees Jesus coming unto him and saith, Behold the Lamb of God. Behold the Lamb of God, which taketh away the sin of the world. I want to stop right there. There's our text. Behold the Lamb of God. It's, it's, it's important for us understand the context around which this statement, this title that is associated with Jesus Christ would have its deepest meaning and the reality of what he actually came into the world to do. As a sacrificial lamb, he came to lay down his life for the sins of his people. Now that's a tremendous thing. But we need to remember all of this in the context of the Jewish thought. Remember with me passages that we read in Exodus chapter 12, the night in which, in which Israel was delivered out of Egyptian bondage. Remember, remember with me, God commanded that they would take a lamb and that they would slay the lamb and place the blood of that lamb on the doorposts and the lintel of every Jewish house. 
And when the angel of death would pass, old, pass through the land of Egypt, it would see the blood that was on the doorposts and the lintel of the houses of the children of Israel and pass over that house so that the firstborn in that house would not be taken. The Bible says that every Egyptian household experienced the death of their firstborn that night. Every Egyptian household experienced death because of the absence of the blood of the lamb. Now that's a critical part of this message. To understand the significance of him being called the lamb of God. In Genesis chapter 22, when Abraham was commanded by the Lord to take his son Isaac into one of the mounts of Moriah. To offer up Isaac as an offering. See, it was a test of the faith of Abraham. It was a test because God said, In Isaac shall thy seed be called. Well, I, uh, Abraham knew that if he took the life of his son Isaac, that according to God's promise, God would raise Isaac again. Because it was in Isaac that uh, the Messiah was going to come from his lineage. So Abraham took a three-day journey to Moriah, which later would become the place where the temple would be built in Jerusalem. But he would come to this ancient place. And um, the Bible describes it this way. It says that Abraham put the wood on the shoulders of Isaac, his son. And, and it says he gave him the, the fire, the torch, to light the wood. And Isaac asked the obvious question. He would say, Father, here is the wood for the burnt offering. Here's the fire. But where is the lamb for the burnt offering? Genesis 22, verse 17. Where is the lamb for the burnt offering? Do you remember the reply of Abraham? He said, God will provide himself a lamb for the sacrifice. And he called the name of that place Jehovah Jireh. The Lord will provide or the Lord is seen. You see, this is the context, the Jewish context around the significance of the lamb. The lamb uh, of redemption was typified in Genesis 22 and Exodus 12. But turn your Bible very quickly with me to Isaiah chapter 53. Isaiah chapter 53. Here in the prophetic language of Isaiah, we find a description of the Messiah that would be rejected, but the redemption that would be accomplished through him. And he's, he's talking about Jesus Christ. And I want you to listen to this. Uh, particularly, we sang this song. By the way, that's one of my favorite songs. Hallelujah, what a Savior. Well, it comes out of this chapter in Isaiah 53. Listen to this in verse 4. Surely he hath borne our griefs and carried our sorrows. Jesus came to carry our sorrows. Yet we did esteem him stricken, smitten of God, and afflicted. 
But he was wounded for our transgressions. He was bruised for our iniquities. The chastisement of our peace was upon him, and with his stripes we are healed. All we like sheep have gone astray, Isaiah says. We have turned everyone to his own way, and the Lord hath laid on him the iniquity of us all. He's the sin bearer, isn't he? He was oppressed, talking about the Messiah. He was oppressed and he was afflicted, yet he opened not his mouth. He is brought as a what? As a lamb. He was brought as a lamb to the slaughter as the sheep before her shearers is dumb, so he opened not his mouth. See, Isaiah presents the lamb as a prophesied reality. Now, if you're taking notes, the first point is the lamb is typified in Genesis 22 and Exodus 12. Second point, the lamb is prophesied in Isaiah chapter 53. Our text this morning is actually our third point. The lamb is identified. The lamb is identified by John the Baptist. And... Uh, and it's interesting, isn't it? He comes to this place and he's identified and, and he's identified in a way that uh, defines his mission, defines why he came into the world to take away the sin of the world, the sin of human beings. He came as a man to suffer as a man the things that he would never be able to suffer as God. But now the God-man has come into the earth and now he is going to provide the blood that uh, will not only cover but also remove the guilt of sin before a holy God. He's the Lamb of God this morning. Jesus Christ is the Lamb of God. Let's read on in our text. In verse 30, he says, This is he of whom I spake. After me cometh a man which is preferred before me. Preferred uh, means that in rank he is more important. In position he is more important. In priority he is more significant. He is preferred before me, for he was before me in existence. And I knew him not but that he should be made manifest to Israel. Therefore am I baptizing with water. And John bare record saying, I saw the spirit descending from heaven like a dove and it abode upon him. And I knew him not, but he that sent me to baptize with water, the same said unto me, upon whom thou shalt see the spirit descending and remaining upon him, the same is he which... Uh, baptizeth with the Holy Ghost. And I saw and bear record that this is what? The Son of God. Here's the Lamb. You want to know who the Lamb is? The Lamb is the Son of God. Again, the next day after John stood and two of his disciples, and these two disciples are Andrew and, Jan and, uh, 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 Andrew and John, here they are, they're witnesses of this. Again, the next day after John stood and two of his disciples and looking upon Jesus as he walked, saith, Behold the Lamb of God. 
And the two disciples heard him speak, and they followed Jesus. Now, this is significant here because we see in the baptism of Jesus Christ, somebody says, well, baptism is not a very important thing. Well, if it wasn't, why did Jesus do it? Baptism is an important thing, and it's not just an important act of faith, an act of the will, but it's also an important illustration of what the Lamb of God actually did. Because baptism is an illustration of the death, burial, and resurrection of the Lamb. And I'll show that to you in a little bit. Baptism is a very important element in our Christian walk, in our Christian experience. Baptism is where we publicly declare ourselves to be a follower of the Lamb, a follower of Jesus Christ. Just because water baptism is not what saves a person, we should never diminish the importance and significance of baptism. It is an important part of our obedience to the call of Christ to follow Him. Christ said to His disciples, follow me. And they were baptized. (coughs) Now, John had this special authority from God himself. And God himself sent John as a, a messenger of truth. And in the process of his obedience to the command of the Father, he now sees the Lamb of God, the Son of God, and baptizes him. Remember in Matthew chapter 3, when we have that account of his baptism... He comes to John to be baptized, and John says, No, I have need to be baptized of thee. You remember that discussion? But Jesus said, Suffer it to be so now, John, for thus it becometh us to fulfill all righteousness. It's a righteous thing for us to experience water baptism. And uh, Jesus was baptized of John, and the Bible says that the heavens were opened, and the voice of God in heaven spake and said, This is my beloved Son, in whom I am well pleased. I'm telling you, as believers and followers of Jesus Christ, when we submit to gospel baptism, it pleases the heart of our Father. This is my beloved son in whom I am well pleased. So here in the gospel of John, we see the lamb is identified. The lamb was not John. The lamb today is not the preacher. The lamb of God is the son of God that came into the world to save poor and Wretched sinners. Now we've looked at this from that standpoint. We see the Lamb of God typified in Genesis 22 and Exodus 12. We see the Lamb of God prophesied in in Isaiah 53. And we see the Lamb of God identified here in our text this morning. I'm going to ask you a question. And I want you to answer it in your own hearts and in your own uh, soul this morning. Do you know the Lamb of God? Do you know Him as Lord and Savior? Do you have a desire to follow Him, to serve Him, 
to live and die for him? See, this is a characteristic of the true church. The true church of Jesus Christ is composed or comprised of people who have been under the leadership of the Holy Spirit and the true gospel message have been brought to a place of faith and trust that Jesus is the Son of God and as the Lamb of God has died for their sins. And if he has died for our sins, we should be willing to live for his glory. So John's a great example of that, isn't he? John is a great example of that. And watch, watch uh, the Apostle John and, his, and James and Andrew. Watch their uh, attitude. Jesus Christ, after he was baptized, we meet these five individuals in this first chapter of John that surrender everything to follow him. You know, it wasn't a contract. It, it, it wasn't a, um, a, a, a package that they were uh, interested in. Uh, what they were interested in was walking obediently to the command of Christ to follow me. But isn't it interesting that as soon as John the Baptist identified who the Lamb of God was, Andrew and James says, we're going to go with him. They didn't know where he was going to go. They didn't know uh, how far he was going to go. They didn't know what he was going to do when he got to where he was going. But they said, we're going to follow him. Reminds me of a story of a grandfather and a grandson. Each summer, the grandson would come and spend a week with grandpa on the farm. And, and uh, one morning, uh, uh, grandpa I walked through the the kitchen and the, the his grandson was eating breakfast or finishing up breakfast. And he says, uh, you want to go with me? Son, you want to go with me? And he didn't answer. Grandpa went and got in his truck and left. Well, the, the boy ran outside and he, he saw the truck pulling away. And, got, and you know, and he was, he was really frustrated and disappointed that Grandpa didn't wait on him. And, and when Grandpa got back, Oh, excuse me. Excuse me, I left a, a part of the story. The, the grandson said, where are you going? That's what it was. And then Grandpa left. Where are you going? That's, that's an important part. And, um, and uh, when Grandpa got back, uh, he says, Grandpa, why, why did you leave me here? He said, uh, he said, son, you asked me where I was going. If you really wanted to go with me, it wouldn't have mattered where I was going. I remember that story in context of Christianity. You see, in this context, uh, these two disciples, John and Andrew, weren't concerned about where he was going. They just wanted to be with him. That's the point I'm trying to make with this. What about you? What's your experience? What's your concern this morning? Is Jesus calling you to follow him? So as they follow him, it's interesting how uh, uh, James runs uh, over and he's going to tell uh, his brother. And then uh, you see Philip uh, running over to tell Nathaniel, and, and all they can say is, what you and I can say is, come and see. 
We have found the Messiah. We found the one that was typified. We found the one that was prophesied. We found the one that was identified. The one who is the Lamb of God. And they followed. And that's how you and I today know James and John, Andrew and Peter, Philip and Nathaniel. We know them because they followed the Lamb. Now, if you don't mind, turn with, turn with me uh, in your Bibles to the 8th chapter of the book of Acts. As, as we consider this subject, it's important for us to, to see it in context. We've seen the Lamb of God typified, the Lamb of God prophesied, the Lamb of God identified. Now I want to see the Lamb of God magnified. In Acts chapter 8, in the ministry of Philip, uh, the Lord tells Philip, I want you to go to a, a certain place uh, in the desert. Now isn't that interesting? God is doing the sending and he's going to send his servant away from a great revival that's happening over in Samaria to go to the desert to meet a congregation of one. Somebody says, well, we're looking for a pastor, but our church is too small to even be considered by any kind of a good uh, a preacher, right? Isn't that kind of the way we think? in natural terms, but here is one of the great preachers of the New Testament, and he's leaving uh, uh, this huge uh, revival meeting to go preach the gospel to a congregation of one. Isn't that interesting? In verse 27 of Acts chapter 8, and Philip arose and went, and behold, a man of Ethiopia, an eunuch, of great authority under Candace, the queen of uh, the Ethiopians, who had the charge of all her treasure and had come to Jerusalem for to worship. Now, stop right there and consider. This was someone that was interested in the God of Israel, the, the, the God, the true and the living God. He's, he's seeking after the truth, right? And when he goes there, uh, remember, as an Ethiopian, he would not be allowed to go into the temple. He had to worship God afar off. He had to stand in the court of the Gentiles. He, he could not cross. Uh, the Jews built, uh, in Herod's time, there was a, a fence that was approximately four feet high. And it separated the Gentile worshipers from the Jewish worshipers. Under the penalty of death... A Gentile couldn't cross over that wall. So here's this Ethiopian that had obviously been to the temple, obviously seeking after the knowledge of the true God. He acquired a scroll of Isaiah. Isaiah, the prophet that we read in Isaiah 53. And as his driver is taking him down this uh, desert road toward Ethiopia, he's reading this scroll. Of Isaiah in verse uh, 28 and uh, and was returning and sitting in his chariot read Isaiah the prophet then the spirit said unto Philip notice this 
The Spirit is the one that brought the preacher to the place where he was needed. Right? The Spirit said unto the Phil, uh, Philip, Go near and join thyself to his chariot. And Philip ran thither to him and heard him read the prophet Isaiah and said, Understandest thou what thou readest? Do you understand what the word of God is teaching? There's the simple question. Do you understand what God's word says about the Lamb of God? And he said, and, and this is his honesty. He, he's being honest and vulnerable. He says, how can I except some man guide me? And he desired Philip that he would come up and sit with him. And the place of the scripture which he read, this is what the Ethiopian was reading in Isaiah 53. He was reading this. He was led as a sheep to the slaughter and like a what? What? A lamb. And like a lamb, dumb before his sure so he opened not his mouth. He opened not his mouth. In his humiliation, his judgment was taken away. Who shall declare his generation? For his life is taken from the earth. Now this was a great mystery in the mind of this Ethiopian. Because if this is a description of the Messiah as the Lamb of God... And it says that he's going to lay down his life. How can he be the Messiah if he dies? Is that a good question? I think it's a very reasonable question for him to ask. You see, what he needed to know was, even though he died, he would rise again. He needed to know that the Messiah was resurrected. Now, he says, uh, in, and the eunuch answered Philip and said, I pray thee of whom speaks the prophet this, of himself or some other man? Then Philip opened his mouth and began at the same scripture, underline that word same, the same verse that uh, identified uh, the Messiah as a lamb. He began at that verse and preached unto him Jesus. And as they went on their way, they came to a certain water, and the eunuch said, See, here is water. What doth hinder me from being baptized? Now, I believe that somewhere in that message, we don't have the details of that message. It must have been a wonderful message. But we, we don't have the details of what he actually preached. But we do know that he began at that very same verse and identified the Lamb of God as Jesus Christ the righteous. And somewhere in that message... He uh, taught him about the importance of water baptism. Water baptism is not what, what uh, removes the sin from the soul. It is uh, an answer of a good conscience toward God. But somewhere in the teachings about the Lamb of God and identifying as, his, uh, as following Him, there is the doctrine or the teaching of water baptism. And he comes to the place where he says, Hey, 
Listen, if this is the truth, if, if, if the Messiah was a Lamb of God and, and Messiah died at the hands of wicked men and was buried in a, a borrowed tomb and after three days and nights rose again, I want to identify with that Messiah. I want to follow the Lamb. I want to follow Him. And how do I do that? You begin that journey by water baptism where you are uh, symbolizing the, your identity with the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. Now watch this, watch this. And Philip said, if, uh, verse 37, verse 37, if, uh, um, you know he asked, what doth hinder me from being baptized? Philip said, if thou believest with all thine heart, thou mayest. Brothers and sisters, isn't that simple? If you believe... If you believe that Jesus Christ is your Lord and Savior, if you believe that He was uh, sent from heaven um, down to earth to, to die for your sins, if you believe that He raised again for your uh, justification before a holy God and today is sitting at the right hand of the Father making intercession for your sins, if you believe that He's coming again at the end of this age, you should be baptized. If thou believest with all thine heart, thou mayest. And he answered, I love this. <laughs> and he answered and said, I believe that Jesus Christ is what? The Son of God. Jesus Christ, the Lamb of God, is the Son of God. And let's go ahead while we're here <laughs> and, and look at the rest of this. And he commanded the chariot to stand still. You know, brothers and sisters, sometimes I feel in our culture and in our generation, we're too busy. We're too busy. Our chariots are going hither and thither and yon. And we're so busy, we can't hear what the Spirit is saying, as it were. We can't, we, we don't have time. For our morning and evening devotions. We don't, we don't have time for that family altar to be ministered to each and every day to our families. We don't, we don't seem to have time to read the Bible and to have a prayer altar in our homes and in our, our schedules. You know what? The call of the gospel is stop your chariot. Stand still and see the salvation of the Lord. He commanded the chariot to stand still. And they went down both into the water. Somebody says, well, I think he just kind of stood on the shore and sprinkled him a little bit. Well, why would they both have to go down into the water? Just answer me that. Why, why would they do that? And they went down both into the water and Philip and the eunuch and he baptized him. He dipped him. He overwhelmed him. He submerged him. That's the biblical definition of baptism. And when they were come up out of the water. They were come up. Out of the water. I love this. The spirit of the Lord caught away Philip. And the eunuch saw him no more. And he went. On his way. What? Rejoicing. He went on his way. Rejoicing. Rejoicing that he submitted to the authority of Christ. Rejoicing that he was obedient to the call. Come, follow me. Rejoicing 
that God in his providence and God in his sovereign will and plan brought him under the sound of the true gospel of sovereign grace and a victorious Savior. And that that Savior is alive and interceding on our behalf at this very moment. He's got a lot to rejoice in. Here, the Lamb of God is magnified in the life of the believer. Now, if you don't mind, go with me to one more passage in Revelation, the book of Revelation, chapter 5. Revelation, chapter 5. The same John that wrote the gospel account that we've been studying in in the first chapter was exiled for his faith. He was placed, he was taken from Ephesus and placed on an isle called Patmos. And in that place, he saw a tremendous vision of the Lamb glorified. It's the same one, friends. The lamb that was typified is the same one as the lamb that was prophesied, is the same one as the lamb that was identified, is the same one as the lamb that was magnified and is magnified through the preaching of the gospel today. But here in closing this morning, we see the lamb glorified. Here, let's back up to verse 1. And I saw on the right hand of him that sat on the throne a book written within and on the backside, sealed with seven seals. And I I saw a strong angel proclaiming with a loud voice, Who is worthy to open the book and to loose the seals thereof? And no man, catch this, no man, not Abraham, not Isaac, not Jacob, not Moses, not King David or Solomon, no man in heaven nor in earth, neither under the earth was able to open the book, neither to look thereon. And I wept much. See how tender he is? I wept much. Because no man was found worthy to open and to read the book, neither to look thereon. And one of the elders saith unto me, Weep not. Behold, listen, the lion of the tribe of Judah... And the root of David hath prevailed to open the book and to loose the seven seals thereof. And I beheld, I'm looking, I'm, I'm, I'm concentrating. The, this term beheld means I see with absolute uh, consideration. I'm not just passively glancing. I'm beholding. I'm beholding. And lo, in the midst of the throne and Of the four living creatures and in the midst of the elders stood a what? A lamb. As it had been slain. Now I just want to stop there. Stood as a lamb who had been slain. As it had been slain. Well, if the lamb was slain as a sin offering. But now he is seen standing before the throne of his father. What had to happen? What had to happen to the lamb that was slain? The lamb that was slain had to be alive again. 
The lamb that was slain and lain down is now portrayed as standing before God in our room and in our stead, making intercession for our sins. You see, that's why we rejoice in the Lamb glorified. Because today, He is glorified in heaven. And one day, the Father is going to say to the Lamb, Go get the redeemed family. Go gather the family of God and bring them together in one place unto Me. And Philippians chapter 2, the Apostle Paul says, And every eye shall see Him, and every knee shall bow. And every tongue shall confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. And we're going to rejoice in that day. Like we've never rejoiced before. Because we are by God's grace for eternity going to behold the Lamb. Thank you for your good attention.